0: Welcome to the third installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs, and you can find me on Twitter at Best Ball NFL. Remember, it's in the name Best Ball. My guest today is Theo Greminger from Player Profiler. Theo, what is your tag on Twitter? You can find me at the OG Fantasy. I normally have that handy and I don't, so my apologies. And today We are going to go through some of the important takeaways, mostly about veterans, and we'll do some other stuff and just challenge each other. My article this week was about challenging your biases, and Theo is a big, high-stakes player, a a player. There's not that many players that I respect. I I hate to say it that way, but there's, there's not that many that I feel are... Know really, really good. There's definitely are, but Theo is one of them. He is a true grinder, a true professional. He was on the Goat District podcast for a number of years. He's still doing the Goat District pod, as well as player profiler, as well as raising a family. And he is the man in this industry who most resembles Brock (laughs) Lesnar. I you appreciate know, that
1: as awesome. And, and I'll say, Todd, we, we're getting ready to square off in a in a big one shortly because we've got the hard way draft that's coming up uh you know wherever wh- at the end of the month. I think um, it's
0: June first.
1: Well, yeah, June first. And, and that you know, and June that 1st. is
0: and that is literally 10 killers. That's why it's called the hard way.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to go up against you. It's like it's like going to a trip to the dentist, but that's one of the most memorable nights of the entire year. Uh, Dwayne McFarland's in that draft, uh, Billy Muzio's in that draft, Dave Hubbard's in that draft draft art, Austin Martin, a B bag of Toba. Uh, that's, and, and that, that one's going to be a tough one, but, uh, I look forward to that. I, I went, I, I made it to the finals
0: the first year and I haven't gotten close in the next three, uh, but I focused less and less on season long and, you know, I'm, I'm knee deep in, um, best ball. And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, you ready to jump into your one uh, season-long draft uh, for the next three months?" And oh, by the way, it's against every good person you can think of in the industry.
1: And you're also in our Hardway Dynasty League, so we're draw- drawing you into as many uh, you know formats that that are uncomfortable you as possible, Todd. Yes, so yes, we appreciate that.
0: And, and, and basically, I feel that I'm pretty good at those formats. Also, I just don't do them. I try and keep my focus uh, because I'm old and I get tired easily. I try and keep my focus. I'm not a young gun like you anymore, Theo.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, but I love bouncing between the formats. I love redraft. I love dynasty. I love best ball. And for me. I think I get sharpened by, in all three when I do all three. So maybe uh you know I, the bandwidth thing will eventually catch up to me Todd but but I love them all. Last year I actually had a
0: really good um season long um both of my main events made it um you know I I cashed in both of those they both made it to the to the playoffs um and I I made the playoffs in seven out of 10 in general of my leagues, Uh, you know, so uh, I I did very well last year. I I, I was a little more focused and I cut down from like 20 to seven or eight um, and I had a partner. So it definitely helps. I think I know you partner up as well.
1: Yeah, I I partner up um, in the NFFC on a few teams with with Nelson Sousa, who's a friend of ours and and a great great player. Um, I partner up with it's Dan the number Williamson, two
0: ranked fantasy player of all time by Chad.
1: He's Nelson's a machine, well, and, at least and in I'm, his own mind. Well, he's 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 very very good. I you know he again is. like you, I don't want to heap praise on too many people, but I also split teams with Dan Williamson. Um, I've split teams in best ball with you. I've split teams with Billy Muzio. Uh, splitting teams is great. Um, I don't. I like you know. I like doing my own teams as much as possible, but I like also having some exposure to managers I respect because I do think that that improves your process. When I get a chance to speak to people like you and Billy Muzio about best ball, or Dan Williamson about best ball, it it might open up my eyes to to a player that I'm not considering. It might also make me question a guy that I'm overly bullish on. So I think that you at least even if you're not partnering with people, I think you need to have people you respect, no matter what level of fantasy football you're at. It helps when you have people that you can discuss it with and, and go through kind of uh, you know, I know one of your one of your questions, and I thought it was excellent, was about biases. But oh, I think I, you know when you just let me get things, things, to yeah. that one. Sorry I'm to bury a, the lead. I'm I don't want to bury to, the lead here. I'm about in.
0: to I'm gonna I'm about to throw that one out at you. Um and by the way, our best ball teams did very well as far as pass-through. And in the uh, FFPC, pass-through is really important because you get 300 for every 125 team. I think if memory serves, out of the seven teams we did, like three advanced and all of them finished in the top four. We just didn't hit the luck in the playoff weeks. I remember we had a couple late injuries. That was the COVID year, yeah, uh, as well. So I do talk a lot about the importance of challenging your biases. I know from my past, not doing so can really hurt, as I missed out on Cooper Cup two years ago. You you started giving us your thoughts on biases, and and I would like to know um, other than challenging them like we're going to do today. Uh, Do you have any other ways? Because I've mentioned this before, and if people listen to this pod throughout the year, they're going to hear me say it a hundred times. The hardest part of fantasy football is to take in information and process it, really listen to it, but not be pushed around by things either. How do you handle that? And would you agree it's the hardest part of this whole thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, bias is, is such a interesting word because we grind so hard to try to identify adp values and the players that we think can be the most advantageous for our builds and we sometimes get to the point where we get a a take lock where we think that this guy is such a such an extreme value that there's no other way to go then you might end up with a best ball team where you know best ball best ball roster percentages and you look down and you've taken a great example was your Cooper Cup. Because in that exact same year, you Cooper Cup was going right next to his teammate, Robert Woods. If you would have simply, you know, pivoted over every draft and you might have liked this team situation and, and a lot by simply pivoting between the two players, you would have given yourself a much better chance to win. In that same season, everybody was betting on Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk was the guy that year. And Debo Samuel ends up winning people leagues. So oftentimes, you might predict the situation correctly and not go with the correct player. I think last year, um, you know, you had Tyreek Kill and Jalen Waddle. Both of those guys ended and up they hitting. Both hit. They both hit, but at the end of the day, Jalen Waddle might have been the better value because he was the one sliding down. Ty- Tyreek Kill, yeah. you know. So it's. I think that that's a great a great example, Todd. Um, that I think that the one thing that, you know, you hear of certain players who do high volume best ball and in an underdog type situation, I think this might've been adjusted Herzig thing where they, he went, there was one competition he entered where the first three or four rounds he went on auto draft and then he starts drafting once it gets to be round four because that way he had, you know, exposure to, as many players as 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 possible without trying to you know force his force himself upon it so i wouldn't quite go that extreme but i think you do need to be open to other concepts and open to the fact that you might not be not be right um so having too much exposure to a guy um even if you think he's a fantastic value it can hurt you with injuries it can hurt you for with underperforming and it can hurt you from nfl coaches just being you know Idiots idiots. and doing things to, to, that happens every year too.
0: Hence my 18 or 20% Kyle Pitts last year. Um, so that's a great example. Another example is the one I wanted to talk about because I know you were on the player and I'm not, let's see if one or the other of us can convince each other because I remember you talking about Deontay Johnson and it's not just who you take and take a lot of, it's who you fade. Um, You know, I know that, you know, you say Deontay gets a lot of targets and there's no argument about that, but he has more competition and I'm not so sure that Pickett is going to improve much in year two. And it seems that they've improved the offensive line and, you know, they've got two good running backs. Uh, Convince me why Deontay Johnson is a good pick in the seventh round.
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head here is this is a guy that was going in like the fourth last year. Now he goes down to the seventh. And I think that the counter argument to that would be there's a reason that his ADP slid so much. And I will say that for Deontay Johnson, he's not a guy that I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to have like an un- overwhelming amount of exposure to, but I think when he presents himself in the seventh round, he's proven himself time and time again in terms of target share. In terms of number of targets, and last year he was such an outlier in terms of touchdowns. Where if he simply would have found right. the end zone a few times, I think that our our outlook on him this year would have been different. And I actually think if he would have found the end zone like four times, not even a big ask, then I think he would be going at least around ahead of where he's going. So, um, I and you also bring up the target competition. I think oftentimes when we get into these situations, especially in best ball, where there's three guys that are attractive where maybe they kind of all push each other down. Pick a horse and, and bet on it because I think that the, the at the end of the day, it's not going to be some even split between Pickens, Muth, and Deontay Johnson in terms of fantasy points scored. More likely than not, you have one big disappointer and you have one guy who, who does a lot better than expectations. And I would be willing to bet on the guy who we've seen it before, Mike Tomlin adores, um and has and they gave the big money to, And they gave the big money to. So again, he's not a guy that you need to take every single draft, but I think the fact that he might it might be an over correction to touchdown scoring and Todd, you you know, you'll be the first one to admit that touchdown scoring is one of the most difficult things to project. Yeah. Um, it's
0: uh, and- it can definitely be an advantage to slow down on the guys who were uh, hyper efficient one year and to take you know the discount on the guys who just didn't. Um, but I'm going to read you a couple things. And again, this is the example that I want to use of how talented people can shape their biases against each other. And you don't even need to say at the end, you've convinced me, you've not convinced me, because what you need to do is go back and think about what the other person said and make sure that you're still comfortable with your decision because it's just as bad when someone talks you off someone you don't like and then they fail. And you're like, oh, why did I let him talk me off him? As it is, um, you know, to stick to your biases. So um, you know, I I I I think I you know I've done this form to kind of identify both floor and ceiling in best ball. Um, And Deontay Johnson last year had a very reasonable, not great, but reasonable 50% of the weeks that he um, played, he gave you a usable score. Um, I won't get into how I factor that, but 50% of the week. The people around him aren't great, but, you know, uh, Thielen, Drake London, Brandon Cooks, Mike Evans, Zay Jones... And Deontay were all guys, right? But in the very important point above um, average, in other words, once you get that baseline score, how many points did he give you above that? He finished 70th among wide receivers with 1.5 points a game. To show you how the people around him, Allen Robinson, Noah Brown, Isaiah McKenzie, Romeo Dubs, Chris Moore, Tyquan Thornton. So, I agree that you know regression is there, but and I also agree with your point about the team, right? Like if you believe in a team, you can pick a horse. You can take one in each draft, and the other thing you have to worry about is what if one of those guys gets hurt, right? If Pickens gets hurt, well, Deontay Johnson has gotten a big bump. And vice versa, um, but I, I did want to share that with you, Theo, and as an example of how we can challenge each other. Uh, your thoughts on that?
1: No, I think that's a great way of looking at it. Is you know, of course, the players around them. Uh, I and I just, I just while you were talking, I looked at the underdog ADP, um, and Todd, I, like I, I I may, I may like Jordan Addison and Jahan Dotson just as much uh, if we're going by underdog in terms of like, you know, right there with Deontay. So, uh, but I, I do think that the one takeaway that we both agree on is looking at teams. And, you know, if if I like a guy on a team, I should be willing to go with, you know, be willing to be wrong because we have seen this. in a, Usually, usually in a, it's a situation where if one guy hits, it ends up being a big win. So, and I like your comment about, the injury, because if, if Pickens goes down or for that matter, if I even think if Najee Harris goes down or Pat Fryermuth goes down, if simply one uh, target getter goes down in that offense, everybody should, should expand their roles a little bit. And and Deontay could end up being a double digit target guy every single week.
0: Or if Pickens has a better year than I anticipate, you have to leave room for things to happen That you're not expecting. That's a big part of biases, right? My bias is that Pickens isn't going to be very good, right? But what if I'm wrong, right? So typically with guys, and that's why I mix my exposures up, and we'll get to that in a second, but that's where I believe in taking the discount. So if Deontay's in the late sixth, early seventh round, I might not have much, right? Because there's other players there that I I do like more. But in the eighth round, you know, uh, uh, that's when I try and get my exposure to guys that I don't like as much. And if you if you do volume, Theo, as you know, everyone drops occasionally. Your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And, um, you know, Ch- Chad Schroeder has that same approach with, with redraft, where it might be a guy that you don't like in, in one round, but uh, like everybody's got a price at a certain point. And I think in best ball, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you get to best ball later. Can
0: I throw in one other point there? Yeah, absolutely. And and add in the fact that you and I both know, as good as we like to think we are, we're wrong a lot, right? Yeah. In every given year, I know that I'm going to be wrong. So even that's one way to fight your biases is by forcing yourself to take someone at a discount even though your instinct might be to avoid them completely just in case you're wrong.
1: And Todd, you also bring up a great point about rounds where the hit rates, a lot of times, you know, when you go down into the seventh, eighth, ninth round, there's a certain player in those rounds where either that's a young player we're projecting to take a leap or it's a veteran who's taken a knock from the year before. There's usually some sort of a flaw. And the deeper you go down, there's more and more flaws or more and more risk. So you know getting kind of a take lock uh, in a certain round or being unwilling to take a guy in a certain round, I think that's just the wrong approach. There's guys who smash out of these rounds, but there's also a lot of guys who fail big time. So not only us failing, but I think just the general ADP range is a fail range.
0: Yeah, I love that, Theo. All right, so let's talk a little bit about timing. I think we all know that there's an advantage in waiting to start drafting. Um, I know that um, Mike Leone kind of proved that for best ball, it's even more important because you're giving yourself more injuries to happen by waiting early. But the next two weeks, while ADP settles, to me, is one of the better times to draft during the year. When do you like to draft, Theo? And what are your thoughts about this window of two weeks while ADP
1: settles? I really do enjoy drafting in May and June. Um, I, I think that the – I would say that it's it's a longer period of time than than two weeks because we kind of – you'll see the initial wave of best ball. And then, like, as you know, Todd, you know, the guys keep coming in, start drafting. Then you see that wave of people that comes in around the 4th of July. And then if you keep going and going, you get to tourist season – uh, as we like to call it, um I but love tour season Tour season's great. I, I,
0: you know? I, I love I love both the the name and I, I you know, uh, that's a Dave Hubbard saying and, and had tip to
1: Dave tip to Dave Hubbard, who's one of the better players. Uh, that the might country. be my
0: favorite Dave Hubbard line ever.
1: It's a great one. um, but it's true. So for me, like again, i I do a lot of dynasty as well. So it's difficult. like this week, like I know that the the a lot of the FFPC. Stuff is starting up, but for me, my focus is my my rookie drafts. When I get through the rookie drafts, the focus completely goes to redraft and and uh, best ball. So I'll try to get in some best balls. Right now, I'll I'll jump into a couple of slow ones. But in terms of sitting down and doing a live best ball draft, I don't I just don't have the bandwidth this week. But I do think you have a great point. There's certain guys that the market hasn't adjusted completely, and you'll end up getting a huge win. Like I'll bring up, I think Jordan Addison is going to rise all summer long. Um, he just gets drafted into a great situation, and I think his ADP will rise and rise and rise and rise. Uh, it might even end up getting to a point where it's too high. But like a guy like that, I think would be great. Um, a number of these rookies, I think, before the before like the dust settles, I think that they're they're going to be great great values uh, this time of year as well. And then you also have the the high risk kind of guys where maybe there's an unsettled situation. Maybe there's a a trade rumor. Maybe they're still out there as a free agent. There's less of those right now, but uh, certainly like taking a, I think Leonard Fournette is interesting right now because I I don't think he's going to be out of the league. And I think you can get him extremely late and you know, and I know the moment he signs with anyone, He's going to move up five rounds, and if he signs especially up, especially so- if he comes
0: in at at his old weight, not last year's weight. Well, right? we don't if, want to see if,
1: fat, fat. Fat Lenny
0: would not be a good. No. thing. No, like to see if, if we if we get a Lenny. chance at thinking it's playoff Lenny. Yeah, you know, he's two twenty,
1: st- he had to be two forty last year. He looked big, but there was like I feel like there's a lot of these running backs. Um, you know, you take a shot on now, and we might not see Leonard Fournette sign until someone gets injured, which is a real possibility. It happens every single year that some running back we like goes down and then there's a huge scramble. So, you know, it happened with Cam Akers years back. It happened with J.K. Dobbins years back. And then somebody fills in. So I I think that there's – you're spot on. This time of year you can find some real, real values. And it's also betting on yourself versus betting on ADP because you're basically looking at an unsettled situation you you have uh, confidence in your abilities as a drafter and the ability to build an excellent team and you can take advantage of that Todd like an experienced drafter like yourself um you're able to do that and then you get these other people who come in and maybe you you know the it's easier to draft when you kind of have a map it's easier to get one place when you know where you're going whereas nowadays it's like you know I have I have confidence. I know I can crush it, even though things are not settled. So I do think it's an interesting two weeks.
0: Yeah, I, I I wrote an article last week on leveraging uncertainty in early best ball as it relates to first free agents because we don't know where they land. Um, not, You know, their, their ADP is down a couple rounds. Same thing happens... Um, with uh, rookies, you know, cause we don't know the landing spots. Well, now it's these guys. And I did make a comment and specifically mentioned Leonard Fournette because now it's the guys who haven't signed yet. So talk about embracing uncertainty and how important it is in fantasy.
1: I think embracing uncertainty is something that you have to do if you ever want to win really big in fantasy in general. I think that there's certain players who need to see it first before it can happen, and those sort of guys do not win big. Uh, They might have a very good season, but they can't win consistently. This applies to pretty much everything. It applies to best ball, it applies to redraft, and it applies to dynasty. You have to be willing to embrace the unknown and embrace the fact that people get displaced. They get displaced in terms of the the pecking order of their teams, and young players break through, veterans get worse, and sometimes veterans find the perfect situation. So uncertainty is something that you need to embrace. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong when it, it gives me a chance to really dominate a league. Um, occasionally, you know, uncertainty is going to jam you up. But at the end of the day, you're trying to win leagues, not finish in the middle. You're trying to win a lot of money and not, you know, hey, maybe I want to, you know, get into that pass line in best ball. Um, you're you're trying to to build behemoths. So embracing that uncertainty is is a way to give yourself an advantage. It's just like Christian Watson, like guys like this happen every single year in the NFL. Um, and you can't walk into a situation, you know, thinking this is that last year is going to repeat this year. Last year never repeats in the NFL. Like there's guys who are going to, who did great in 2022, who are going to do great in 2023. But then there, you know, there's going to be guys that were great last year that are going to regress. There's guys that are great last year that are going to get injured. And there's young players who are going to take big steps up. It happens every single year. So uncertainty is something that very good players are embracing those situations, not running away from them.
0: Yeah. And I think going from a guy who dominated his local leagues, uh, to playing nationally, like we do, that was the biggest thing that I, I, I was good enough just in picking players to be successful in, you know, playing against buddies or in smaller leagues, um, when you get into these national contests where there's a ton of really talented people, I had to step up my uncertainty game. Um, let's move over to some of the ownerships that I have. And I want to give you a chance to kind of tell me if some of my heavy owned players you're not on and, and why, and you know, ADP. So early my top quarterbacks were Dak Watson, Rogers, And I also had a lot of fields in love. Um, My thought process between Dak Watson and Rodgers is the top tier really got expensive. You know, guys went from the fourth round to the second round, where those guys still are in the seventh to 10th round of drafts. But I think they give me the opportunity, they give me plausible deniability of a top three season. Um, are there any of those five guys you don't like? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, on, you know, you mentioned how the draft board changes every year. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that strategy to adjust to what we've seen at the quarterback position?
1: You know, it's, I don't want to like, you know, it's not like I'm coming on your pod and just trying to like compliment you. I, I like the quarterbacks you're hitting. I especially like your Dak and Watson call. I think that Cleveland looks like a team by all of their actions that they're going to be looking to get more aggressive and put Watson in a position to succeed. I think last year was a very distracting year for him to say the least. Um, Everything's kind of cooled down with the off field stuff. And I think that Cleveland adding Elijah Moore helps a lot. They added Cedric Tillman in the draft, um, which is also going to help Uh, Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples Jones, David Njoku and then they don't bring back Kareem Hunt which makes me think that they're going to be a little more aggressive passing the ball and they're devaluing RB2 um so not to say Jerome Ford's a, a, a nothing guy but he doesn't let, let, they don't let have me the jumped
0: in for a sec yeah. because you know it goes back to uncertainty Watson played like crap last year so the uncertainty in this case is that what if he what if what we saw at the end of last year is who he is from now on I think that's keeping his ADP down two rounds. That's why I like taking a shot on him and embracing that uncertainty.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, not defending him as an off-the-field guy, but I think that there's certain people that just don't want to draft Deshaun Watson. And I think that's like a like you talk about biases. You know, we're not judging character, we're judging football talent. And the guy, you know, last year people were rooting actively when he was failing so now it's sort of like a piling on type thing and we are here but at the end of the day there's a reason they gave him all that money did they overpay him was it a bad contract maybe but I think that the at the end of the day we've seen Deshaun Watson succeed in almost every single season as a pro except for one is he what he was last year or is he closer to what he was two years ago it remains to be seen, but by the actions Cleveland has shown you this off season, if I think if they really thought Deshaun Watson was regressing, the move would not be to put any effort into, you know, receivers. It would be to get the defense as strong as possible and grind games out and bring in another running back. Right. So Good they point. obviously show some, some, they show a lot of confidence in Watson. The more trade I think was great value. Tillman offers another big, strong, wide receiver. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Cooper. I mean, we have to like the weapons. And it's actually turning into a shootout division. By the actions Baltimore has shown you, Cincinnati being Cincinnati, it's a shootout division. So you have more chances for that as well. Dak is interesting because they did not bring back Schultz. They did not bring back Zeke Elliott. So to me, by adding Cooks and also talking up Gallup, there's a chance for more wide receiver targets, less tight end targets, uh more more use of Pollard than Zeke also equals more targets because Zeke is more of a, you know, traditional running back and Pollard's more of a a two-way player. So I think that Dak like, you know, Matt Kelly uh who I do podcasts with the player profiler has brought up Dak as a dark horse MVP candidate this year. Um and I think that's an interesting take. Um so I do like him. Like he's I had some some Dak last year in fantasy. You know, it was tough with the injury early, but he was if you look at it through splits, he was very effective in the second half of the season when he came back from injury. So I like the way that offense is pointing up. The Rodgers one, I I love Garrett Wilson. I I, I really hope Brees Hall comes back strong. Uh, I like the idea of the Rodgers selection. And I actually have a couple of best ball builds where I took Rodgers because I thought he was a great value. But when I kind of poke holes in, is I do worry about the pace. It's it's Lafleur and Rodgers again. We saw um, when they were together Hackett. in Green Bay how slow it was. It was Hackett. Oh, excuse me, Hackett. I'm Hackett. miss speaking. Yeah, yeah, Hackett. Hackett. hacking in the Jets now with with uh, Rogers. And I do worry a little bit about the pace because that that defense is so strong. And they have the ability to run the ball, and they have the the ability to take the air out of the football and win games like that. I that's the one thing I would worry about. But in terms of, I mean, you have to love love Garrett Wilson. I like the fact that they brought in Lazard for him, um, and Brees Hall gives him a, a receiver out of the backfield that is dynamic and talented. And the offensive line they they've put some they puts a lot of work into having a sound O line. So I get it. But I do worry about the pace and him being kind of a purgatory guy for you, even at that uh, that nice ADP. And then I, Fields, I, I worry more
0: about Dak than I do Rodgers, and I'll tell you why. Rodgers in the tenth round, you know, he he played for a coach the last year that really slowed it down and really ran the ball. They didn't have an a. Uh, I I think it's going to be faster paced, and I think they they, unlike Green Bay where he had to adapt to Lafleur, that was kind of the the you know the thing. I think the Jets have shown that they're willing to adapt to Rodgers to make him happy. So, I, but Dak, the one that think the thing that makes me worry about Dak is. Um, Mike McCarthy taking over for Kellen Moore. That's my one hesitancy with my Dak stuff.
1: Yeah, it, and and Schottenheimer doesn't exactly make you thrilled either. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's at the end of the day, you're having to beat Philadelphia. And you're going to have to eventually outscore them. And I think that Dallas kind of could be taking a, a step in the right direction Um, you know, they had a very good draft, not like fantasy wise, but they were making sound decisions. Uh, I think they're, they're heading in the right direction as an organization. And I don't know, you have to kind of take a leap leap of faith there. Again, you don't want to have take lock on what this coach did in the past every time because, you know, people change the league changes. Um, and I think chasing that behemoth in Philly might make that offense be a little more aggressive. So that's interesting. And then fields, I like that. Fields is like, I I I. Justin Fields was fantastic last year. You know, I love Justin Fields. I just feel like he might be getting drafted um, towards the high end of of his outcomes. Like he's pushed up to a point where he's very high up. Um, the rushing ability insulates him from from failing at all. Like he's if he, as every game he's on the field, he's gonna put up fantasy points. But I do think that he's now in a very very elite tier. So you're betting on him to return high end numbers when you select him here. That would be my one concern. even though I've said on the record I think Chicago um, is an offense that's going to take a massive step forward and they certainly added a a real you know number one target in DJ Moore for him. So the one argument could be the fact that they've put they put a lot into improving the weapons around fields maybe they take a little bit of the pressure off him. And that might lead to slightly less rushing and slightly less work inside the red zone as a rusher, but you know he's fine. But I like the Jordan Love one a lot, um, and I think the draft helped you. Well, a great it, deal.
0: it was it was taking Rodgers and Love was leveraging uncertainty. The blackjack on split of, on
1: both of them. Blackjack split.
0: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. I, I'm going to move on. Uh, I think we covered that pretty darn good. I will say that most of my fields was when he was in the fourth round, and once the DJ Moore got there, he moved back up into the third. Um, but I'm going to throw a couple. De- I'm going to throw a couple fields numbers back at you. I took out the five game. You know how after five games they l- they let him loose. Yeah. Right. In those games after that, he average he, he hit. Usable weeks, which is a top 12 week for a quarterback, uh, less one point 90 percent of his games, and he averaged 9.3 points per game above usable. Just to put that in context, Patrick Mahomes had 9.3, and Jalen Hurts had 9.1, and Josh Allen had 8.9. So, I I know that he might not run quite as much and he had some super big plays. Uh, But like you said, there's a a pretty good uh, floor there. Um, You know, to me, that was another way to leverage the top three guys going in the early to mid second round and early best ball.
1: Yeah. I like that. I like that call um, a lot. And I do think that that you bring up the top three, like, Burrow has gotten dragged up almost into a top four. So it's fields hard for me to
0: take him there.
1: I agree with you. And we've had this conversation before about how like Burrow, it's it's difficult that to see Burrow kind of beating his ADP. Um, but Fields, I, I think it you're it's in there in the outcome. Because you don't have you don't have the rushing. You don't have I, the rushing. I would rather
0: take a shot on Herbert at his ADP. Because he kind of profiles very similar to Burrow, uh, but you get him two two rounds later.
1: Yeah. That's a, it, if you want to look at it like that, it's like Herbert's the arbitrage play to Burrow Fields would be Our the non-running arbitrage Running
0: quarterbacks, to, yeah.
1: And Fields would be your Hertz arbitrage. So
0: Yeah. And and that that's a great way to put it that mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of. Uh let's move on to a couple things because we got about 12 minutes left. Sure. Um Let's um, let's talk about some, uh, you know, we want to hit the rookies because we just had the draft. I think I did mention next week we're going to have both Ryan McChrystal from Sharp Football Analysis and Shane Hallamon to deep dive the rookies.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, and they're both phenomenal at that. And we also want to give ADP a chance to settle before we do rookie because this is a best ball podcast this isn't a hot take how much we like the draft podcast so we always want to tie things to ADP because we might love a player but hate the ADP and that means for the time being you hate the player um so but what were some of your favorite and least favorite landing spots for rookies
1: my least favorite was easily Zach Charbonnet that was a um that was a guy that I had been drafting in some best ball leagues. I was really, I mean, if I if you told me he was drafted in this range of the draft, I would feel extremely smart about what I did. But right. now he goes to a, a crowded backfield. I I do think like the Seattle's going to have a good offense. Uh, and could Zach Charbonnet be the goal line back? Could Zach Charbonnet be the the two minute back? There's some outs here. But at the end of the day, Ken Walker is the proven player and Zach Charbonnet is the new player. So he's a have better eat prospect. Out. Yeah.
0: Right? Well, like if they both came out this year, Walker would have been, you know, if Walker came out this year, he would have been
1: either the second or third back off the third board. back. I don't third think back. I think yeah. at the end of the day he would have been the third back selected, yeah, you're right. but like because Gibbs. But again, like I agree with you. But NFL teams are different where Me, you, and then five other fantasy guys that we really respect might completely agree on that take. But we are not the Seattle Seahawks and they spent similar draft capital. So Ken Walker, they see Ken Walker every single day. Do they have any sort of concerns long-term with him? They certainly show that they're, with their actions, that they value having a second running back because I do not buy the notion that they, there's a argument going that Seattle devalues second round picks um, more than other organizations. And they had a need for a second running back. Yeah. So they wanted to use the pick to get one they loved in Charbonnet. But at the end of the day, if you're just going for a a, a backup, you know, you can wait till the fourth round. I mean, this is the same organization that got Chris Carson in like the seventh round. Um, so I don't know. It I don't like it at all. The Zach Charbonnet landing spot makes me sick on many levels. I'll throw this out
0: before you give us the one that you like. I will say that um, I didn't draft a lot of Ken Walker in the second round because I thought this could happen. Yeah, Because they showed it last year. How how do you, you know, they had Penny, and, you know, they also had a ton of injuries at running back the last three years. I think this is more of a a hedge – on injury than it is anything against Walker, but at the same time, Charbonnet is going to cut into Walker more than some fourth or fifth round guy. So I agree with you. It's pretty bad. Uh, so who's, who's your favorite landing spot or two?
1: I touched on Jordan Addison. I love that landing spot. Um, and for best ball, I also love Dalton Kincaid's landing spot. Like Dalton Kincaid is a guy that I've been taking in best ball drafts for a while now. Uh, this is a guy that we have my guys at Player Profiler, guys that you kind of you know flag plan on, and he's been a guy that I've flag planted on for a while. I think he is a natural receiver. I think he can win at many levels. I think you can line him up in the slot. I think you can play him outside. It's just an ex- just such an exciting addition to Buffalo. We've been really wanting Buffalo to have – a secondary target. And I think a, a, in eight months, when we have some data, Dalton Kincaid's going to be that guy. That's just a clear second fiddle to, to digs in the, in the target tree. Like I get Gabe Davis and Gabe Davis played injured last year. There's that, that argument is out there, but at the end of the day, they, they traded up to get Dalton Kincaid. They did not make a move to trade up and get one of these wide receivers. They went and got the move tight end. Uh, I think this is a player that's going to help Josh Allen and I think he's really going to help our best ball teams. And if you build your team correctly, you can deal with the weeks where maybe Dalton Kincaid doesn't give you a big number because it's the spike weeks that I think he's going to provide that are going to really, really move the the, the needle in best ball.
0: That's a very interesting
1: take. I have been taking Isaiah Likely
0: and um, Jelani Woods, two second-year guys with a ton of talent. I do like Kincaid, the player. I don't know if I agree on all your takeaways there, and, and I'm starting to see him 13th, 14th round. And just my history is – and I do like Kincaid. I liked his tape. But rookie tight ends, I I would – you know if you fade them once they get up around the 12th, 13th round, you're going to win more years than you lose. And I do think they like uh, Shakir in the slot. So I think your take is definitely possible, something I'm going to consider. And um, that's my thought. Uh, I definitely want to cover a couple of the biggest things with veterans. And the biggest one, Theo, for fantasy purposes was the DeAndre Swift trade. How do you see that backfield working out? And I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, give me the earliest round you'd be willing to draft each one of these three guys in best ball drafts.
1: So I actually had this conversation for redraft yesterday where I would be comfortable taking DeAndre Swift in the fifth round. And I think that would probably apply for best ball as well. Uh, In best ball, I'm actually less concerned about Swift than I would in redraft because I do think he's going to give us very big spike weeks. And I think he's insulated where his he's going to have weeks where his floor is going to be a very safe one to bet on. Whereas I think Penny, who's obviously going to go later than Swift, now I think Penny is going to have way more variance in his weekly scoring. I think Penny could have like a big week, and then he could have a week where he's you know giving you a a five six pointer. Um, But I think Swift. It's very difficult for us to look at what Philadelphia has done in the past and how they use running backs under Nick Sirianni, where they haven't targeted the running back position at all, but they haven't had a guy who's had this much pass-catching success. And one person said, well, Theo, you're wrong. Miles Sanders was a 50-catch guy, and they had him on the roster. But not under Sirianni. It was under Reich. Right. So like Swift, you go out and get him, and and we look at at Swift – for what he's done as a, as a professional, he's averaged five targets a game. So even if that takes a hit, he's still at like probably four plus targets a game. Like even if it takes a a, a 20% hit on his, on his, uh, you know, career. So I like Swift a lot. If if he goes steams up too high, Todd, I'm probably out, but if I can get him in the fifth, I'm, I'm okay with it. I think he's the kind of back that beats in the dead zone. And then for Penny, um, I think Penny's going to be somewhat attractive now um, because if you build your team correctly, then you can put up with the low scoring weeks because I think those big spike weeks are are going to help you. And DeAndre Swift has missed games every year. So DeAndre Swift has played. He's never missed. So I think the misconception is DeAndre Swift is some guy that's missed like a whole season. He's never played less than 13 games in a year, but that's still there. Um, so with Penny... Where is his current ADP, Todd? Before the Swift, uh, he was like eighth, ninth round. So I think that the that there's going to be a correction where he moves down to. I'm going to guess he's going to become an 11th, 12th rounder because of the quality of the Not offense. Not seeing it so far. Not yet. No, and that's uh, disconcerting to me. So
0: um, for me, Swift is a sixth round guy, uh, but I'm 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 a cheap mf'er. Yeah. So, um, I, if I notice that he never makes it, I'll I will bite the bullet and take some in the fifth. Um, I don't think I would be too interested in the fourth because they haven't given any wide receiver. I mean, any running back a huge workload. Yeah. And you know, I, I I'm okay with uh, Penny where you said, uh, but in single digits, I'm going to struggle. And Gainwell is a guy that I've seen slipping 15th, 16th, 17th round now. And I am absolutely willing to take some shots on Gainwell that late. I
1: was actually going to say, like, that's, that's, I was going to bring up Gainwell because Gainwell is probably the big best ball winner here. Because if he slides down into that range, I think that one thing that's important, and it's one thing that you and Justin Herzig and a lot of people I really respect for best ball uh, always bring up is, Those last few rounds, especially in like an underdog type setting or an FFPC slim, a lot of people treat those as like swing for the fences type picks, whereas a guy like Gainwell is really the kind of guy that's going to help you because he's going to have those floor weeks um, mixed in with a few nice you know, spike weeks where he's the kind of guy that's going to really help you move through, where some people might be chasing a third string, second string running back that has no path. We know that Gainwell is a Sirianni guy there's going to be gainable weeks. No matter how this backfield shakes out. And you've got two
0: injury-prone guys in front of them. So I'm going to sum up for you my whole theory on drafting in one sentence. It's I look for talented guys who have a floor where they're being drafted. Now, what do you need out of that 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th round? You're really looking for three or four Usable weeks, right? But with an injury, they will get more volume than you expect, right? So I'm always, uh, and not every pick I make, I use this, but in general, my theory is find talented players with a good floor and then find a scenario where they can get you a ceiling. Because every year we see it, Theo, injury, uh, ineffectiveness, weird coaching there's all different scenarios where guys who we didn't think would get volume, get it, but do they have the talent to take advantage of it when they get it? And what is it going to cost you if you don't get it? Are they still going to be, uh, you know, make your squad, uh, you know, uh, uh, give your
1: squad a chance to uh, advance.
0: That's my theory.
1: No, I like that a lot. I like that a great deal. And I think that's a that's a very sharp thing to say. And I think that if there's any takeaway from this pod, it's you know what Todd just said with the ways to treat the back the back end of your draft. It's very important. I think the better best ball players really just do a better job of drafting from like rounds 15 through 20. Um, those those are the kind of rounds that can really, really help you. And I think a lot of people they treat them as somewhat throwaway rounds or swing for the fences rounds. All right, let's hit
0: two last things. Um, we're both very loquacious and uh, I do want to get these, especially the first one, because I disagreed with you on this one. And it's funny because we both love the player, uh, but I saw you say that you thought that Roshan Johnson was going to take over that backfield some point in the mid part of the season. Um I've just seen too many times the rookie without the high draft capital not even get the chance to do that in year one. And both Khalil Herbert and Dante Foreman aren't scrubs, right? If they were scrubs, I would say, yeah, the fourth round guy is so good. Those guys aren't. But I think, you know, shot, well, first of all, he's dropping. So I do think he's worth taking where I'm seeing him again. 16th, 17th, 18th round, uh, where I was kind of taking them almost every draft, pre-draft. Uh, but tell me why you think that Roshan Johnson is going to take over, you know, I, because I want to believe, because I've got like 35% in early baseball.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because the certain teams are, are devaluing the running back position and the draft capital they spend on them. We've seen back-to-back seasons of fourth round picks hitting Michael Carter two seasons ago gave you I I don't have the stats in front of me but I'm guessing he gave me five or six you know top 20 weeks like he had a, he had one I know he had one week where he was the RB1 overall and he had several other weeks where he was very helpful that was not for an entire season of course then last year you saw Damian Pierce Similar to Rosh- Roshan Johnson in, in multiple ways, where uh, they were strong runners from big schools, had some weight on them, and he ends up in the fourth round and not on day two. Some people brush that aside. He ends up in Houston and he runs for you know close to a thousand yards, and he was you know very good on point per game basis. Uh, then you have this year where Roshan Johnson I thought would go on day two, so maybe I have a little bit of bias here. But I, I was, do I love was
0: the, praying. But I, I've I love. I love. You know, it's not. Too, it's not. I, I've been disappointed too many times, Theo. Where where the teams just don't see what we see.
1: But again, it's a fourth round pick. It's not a seventh round. It's pick. not bad. And I think that the fourth round is interesting because you have a you you basically have the night, um, the night, the night the draft ends, and then that that time period before where you have a plan. And Chicago went and took Roshan Johnson. He was the first running back selected in the fourth round. So he was the fourth running back selected on day three. Um, and he's a guy where we reference Herbert, we reference Foreman. I like Foreman a lot. Foreman last year, you know, Foreman was a guy that I took a couple shots on in Dynasty because I don't necessarily believe in Khalil Herbert. I think Khalil Herbert has shown flashes of talent. But again, you're talking about a sixth round player. He's like 26 years old he was a 6th round pick and he's never done it for a course of a season he's done it in pockets and now Khalil Herbert has moved up into you know mid RB3 land so you're already taking him with a little bit of risk Deonta Foreman we like Deonta Foreman a lot but Deonta Foreman has played on multiple teams and he's 28 and last year he ran for ni- 900 plus yards in Carolina but everything went well for for him in terms of the offense completely changed and they went to this crazy run heavy approach, and he played very well. But again, you're talking about a guy on multiple teams and a sixth round pick now competing with Roshan Johnson, a six foot one, 220 pound back. He was a former quarterback. The guy, there's just a lot to his game that I like. I think he's a very good uh, runner. And I think that the Chicago offense is going to be different this year. I think everything they've showed you, you,
0: us you convinced me a little bit on this one. Eight
1: and plus eighteenth round I, I, time I gotta like...
0: cut you off because I want to get this last question in sure. And I, I, I don't want to go over uh we're already kinda at the end of okay, the range. cool. Go but, for it. um I, you you that's the one you kind of convinced me on the most. Okay, good. I got uh,
1: another Roshan lover in the uh, the eighteenth round. There you go. Well,
0: I mean, I I you know, I, I again I had thirty-five I mean, you know I don't normally have thirty five percent of anyone. I had 35% of him pre-draft. And if he hadn't moved up to the 12th, 13th round, I might have 50%. I, I love the player. Right.
1: I don't think that hurts you, Todd. I think the 35% Roshan, you're going to be pleased you did it.
0: I, I, I'm hoping. I've also got 37% Tajay Spears, who, who hit a kind of the nut spot. Yeah. Uh, and I've got uh, like 20-something percent of A-chain. And we both know that that's going to probably look good. The uh, but the question is Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, who are you most excited to draft at the ADP you expect them to be at? And do you feel the same way about their receivers? Uh, and, and especially interested in your take on Jonathan Mingo, a guy that, you know, we've seen this before guys who come out of nowhere. Uh, they really don't have the tape to back it up, but now is a second round pick. Your thoughts on uh, the three QBs, the receivers there, especially Mr. Mingo.
1: I think we're going to have more clarity on the wide receiver situation in Carolina as the summer moves along. Utah, like, I think that there'll be a pecking order, and I think that there'll be, it'll be important to see how they view Mingo at first, but we certainly, like, Mingo is a 4-4 guy, he's two twenty. he had a huge vertical leap, and he started producing his senior se- his last season at Ole Miss the year before he had a foot injury. so the stats like look low, but he was injured. um I think it's interesting. I like Mingo is certainly not the safest uh, wide receiver um, of those second round selections, but he does have a high upside based on the, his athleticism and the guys around him, like Thielen, Shark, Marshall, and then the guy that they spent a, a top 40 pick on. So he's interesting. I don't know if I would want a ton of him this year because I think that there's some risk there. Um, And I'm not as interested in Bryce Young as I would be C.J. Stroud because I think C.J. Stroud has a little bit of untapped rushing potential that we did not see at Ohio State that I think could be used in Houston. I mean, obviously, the guy for fantasy is Anthony Richardson. I mean, I think that if one of the easiest things to do if you really want and you want to plan your best ball teams out like this I hate having two quarterbacks from the same team, but a gardner Minshew anthony richardson build is absolutely doable, and you'll get probably four to six starts out of Minshew before Richardson takes over. I, and then I you're don't instantly.
0: think so. I, I'm I, drafting I, Richardson like he's starting day one, and if I have 15% Richardson and I'm wrong, well, my leverage is the other 85% of the teams that I don't have. I think he's I, – I, I, I just – Theo, I, I'm throwing my chips in as long as his ADP stays reasonable. I think he's
1: a day one starter. So I, I might disagree with you on that, but I do think that like the way you build your teams, you're you're going to be fine because you're going to have an established quarterback that'll that'll get you through for a couple of weeks until he starts. I just think it's a tall ask to throw a guy that's not even 21 years old out there for day one in the NFL. I think okay. that they they want him to succeed. And I think they're okay with Minchu for a few games, but again, like I'm with you, like Anthony Richardson. Even if he's a bad NFL quarterback, is going to be a good fantasy quarterback. He's such a dynamic runner, and he's so big and strong, and he's got a deceptive deep ball on a team where he's got Michael Pittman, he's got Alec Pierce, and now he's got Josh Downs underneath. Like, and like you bring up Jelani Woods, like they have interesting guys on the offense, they did, they and they sure have, do. and they also have Jonathan Taylor. We'll keep defenses honest, so these. I mean, you think about the success that Lamar Jackson had next to Mark Ingram where they both carried each other up in fantasy in that 2019 season where they both crushed their ADP and it was side by side. I mean, it's hard for Taylor to really crush his ADP, but you could see Taylor have a very good season and Anthony Richardson have a good fantasy season right next to one another.
0: Yeah, and and they also took... Um,
1: Josh course. Downs?
0: Well, yeah, and I I love that landing spot for Downs. I mean,
1: and I Evan Hole that... is Evan Hole is a as a Evan Hole is an interesting twentieth round type guy now in best ball too, Todd. Because Evan Hole is I think going to be the I think he's going to be win the backup job. Um, I think he will be the handcuff to Taylor. And Hole has a, a a ridiculous athletic profile, and he can catch passes. So like he's he's an interesting guy.
0: I was they had more a great looking. Draft. I was. I was more looking. They took Blake F- Freeland. Their offensive yeah. line let them down last year. Yeah, and they and they spent a fourth on one, and I thought they had taken more.
1: Fre- Freeland is an absolute mountain. He's and, one and of the they biggest. Took,
0: they took one in the late. Also, Jake Witt. Yeah. Um I thought they had done a little more, but. Um, I, I'm I, I'm like you, Theo. I'm pretty pretty excited about the Colts, not from a football standpoint, but from a fantasy standpoint because their guys are going to be so cheap.
1: Yeah, and they're an interesting team to, to. I mean, they're they're not interesting. They're a very predictable team. I think. I think like Michael Pittman is what he is. You know what the target share is going to be. Uh, Anthony Richardson, you know, is going to run for a lot of yards and Jonathan Taylor is going to be an effective running back there. Th- those guys are very, very easy to figure out. And I think Alec Pierce is interesting um, because that's a guy that can, is an outside receiver that could end up catching a few, t- few more touchdowns than most people think just based on the quality of the running game, it's going to open things up over the top. I think Pierce could end up being a winner as well.
0: Well, I wish I could talk to Theo Greminger from Player Profiler for another hour, Um, but I think we're going to have to go. Theo, at the OG Fantasy on Twitter, follow him if you're not. One of the true grinders, one of the true nice guys in this industry, and I want to thank you very much for coming on and chopping it up with me today.
1: I always love chopping it up with you. I love doing podcasts with you, Uh, and I think after... After getting reminiscing about our four for seven advance rate, we got to split a couple teams this summer too, Todd. Dude, you
0: you just let me know when and where. I I kind of regretted that I didn't push you last year to do some, and I know you're so busy and you've got so many other guys you do things with, but I I really feel like we left some something on the on the field that uh, I I just had a real good feeling working with you.
1: I'm and in. I'm it, in for sure. I'm in for awesome. sure.
0: All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, producer Eddie, as well. And we will see you next week when we are going to have Shane Hollum of Draft Countdown as well as Ryan McChrystal from Sharp Football. We're going to do a deeper dive on these rookies. Everyone have a great week.